7500. This is Jamie Brown and Greg Poole. And I'm here to introduce our guest today. We are very, very fortunate to have with us the founder of Archway Theater Company, Stephen Sable. Hello. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for joining us. And the star of the upcoming show or uh, performance, um, Hillary Weintraub. And the, the upcoming performance is called... Trojan Women. Trojan Women. Indeed. Thanks for joining us Thank today. Thank you for having us. We're so happy to have you. So let's start with Stephen. Let's back up a little bit. I understand that we have formed a partnership with your company. And can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, this is our second season here as, an, as a theater company in residence at Woodbury. And we're thrilled to continue our collaboration with the university to bring these cultural activities to the campus. Um, let it be known immediately that all of our performances are free of charge to students and faculty of Woodbury University. So there's no excuse not to come because you don't have to buy a ticket. You can just show up and show your Woodbury ID and uh, we'll put you in an available seat, no problem. Nice. Um, so that's one of the aspects of the collaboration that's fabulous. Um, but also, there's a, an aspect of it that we're going to be looking into in the very near future where we're going to be including students from the university in, in involvement in various aspects of the production process. Which is very exciting and hopefully you know we'll continue to exp or we'll build on this and do it. I know you're looking initially at working with some of our graphic design students um, and you've had some initial conversations with the chair of that program. So that's exciting. Yeah, the wonderful thing about th the theater arts and the, the craft in general is how many different fields of interest and of artistry are involved in producing uh, a theatrical presentation, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. So the production aspects range everything from, like you say, graphic arts to, you know, designing poster art designing, website art designing, programs uh, to be printed, all of that aspect of it, including layout and everything, um, is w just one small factor that's involved. Um, one of the things we also would like to pursue is maybe working with the architecture department about some set design mm -hmm. aspects. Um, so that's an exciting uh, I opportunity and idea as well. So yeah, we're really going to welcome the student body to come and be a part of the process as much as w we have availability for them to be a part of that. Very nice. So tell us, let's go back to, um, so you founded Archway Theatre Company. H tell us about the, the company and when it started and, and, and how you've evolved over the years and where you are today. Okay, uh, I'll, tr I'll put this in a nutshell, right? So I've been involved in theater all my life since I was nine years old. I started directing plays, um, God, 1993, I think it was now, 1994. Um, and I, from the Inland Empire here in Southern California, originally, I'm from Riverside, and so I did all of my shows out in that area. And at one point, my, I, had a, I had my own Shakespeare Festival out there in, in Redlands for almost a decade. And at one point, I said, you know, I want to move into the LA market. And I started throwing my name out there and um, trying to find a place where I could direct my first L.A. show. Mm -hmm. And I did that, and um, I directed a couple more back-to-back. -back. And by the time I had 
completed the third production, I looked around at what was happening in the L.A. theater scene, and I said, well, I can do that, um, and I need to start my own theater company and be in charge of my own career, my own artistic vision, rather than um, being at the behest of, of someone else's theater. So that's exactly what I did. And how do you go about doing something like that? It's a, um, like a huge feat. <laughs> you, you grow giant balls. <laughs> You can no, say that. It's can. totally fine you to say. You can say it. Here. Wow. Okay. No, you can um, say balls all the time. Okay. Noted. Got it. Uh, yeah. I think. I think really it, it's. Um, it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of gumption, uh, especially because it's not just getting a group of friends together and going, "Let's start a theater company." Um, you know, we found a location. We secured our insurance. We uh, filed our paperwork with the city. We signed the lease. Uh, we opened up the doors. Um, we had to pay the rent every month. And you didn't you, know, you know you weren't making money at this point. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're investing. I invested, you know, personal money. I got I got a loan from a friend. Yeah. I I got some money from my parents yeah. uh, on loan to help me start the whole thing. And then, um, so on top of all the bills of it, you're also paying back these loans as you can as you're going along. So yeah, it's been. Um, quite a process we were in downtown LA in the downtown LA Arts District for three years and we moved to the NoHo Arts District just down Burbank Boulevard um, and we were in that building for three years and at the end of a, at the end of what year is this 2019 <laughs> uh, at the end of 2017 um, the company decided it was time for our lease to renew and we decided, we opted not to renew our lease on that building. And about that same time was when we um, were introduced to Nedra Peterson, the librarian here on campus. Mm -hmm. And Nedra learned that we were giving up our building and that we were going to be looking for various different spaces to do our shows. And she said, why don't you come over to Woodbury University and take a look at the campus and take a look at the library and see if the library is something that might work for a production, uh, including the courtyard, which is actually the, where we did our first show here on campus was in the Enkable Courtyard mm -hmm. there between the library and the annex. So um, that's what opened the doors, as it were, or opened the security <laughs> gate out there for us, as it were, to uh, come on campus. And when I was here walking, just even looking at the library with Nedra, um, that's when I started looking around at other parts of the campus and went, hey, how about over here? And how about over there? And what about using the quad? And how about if we do a show in this space and that space? And um, because we're a very site-specific and immersive style theater company, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, but um, right now, the next space, which will be our fourth location on the campus, is the Amundsen main space where we'll be doing Trojan Women. Okay, good, good um, opening to Trojan Women. Yeah, Hillary. So, Hillary, tell us about um, your role in in the um, in the play. So, I play the conquered queen of Troy, Hecuba, uh, whose son Hector, the fearless fighter, was killed in the fields of battle. Her son Paris um, what started it all by going and taking Helen, the famous Helen of Troy. The, the face that launched a thousand ships, That's right? the one. And we have a beautiful actress who is playing our Helen. And so you will clearly see how she could cause such a skirmish. Um, she's she, using that, too. She's using that in her marketing well she and everything. Should. She's, she's totally a lovely using, lady. She's like, I'm the face and a that talent. launched a thousand ships. That's right. And a talent you're, to boot. You're over that now. I can tell. By <laughs> you're like, come on. 
get over yourself. No, not this one. She deserves it. She definitely deserves it. So the, the idea is the war has happened. The men, our men have died. Our children are gone. And we Trojan women are left as the spoils of war. And our, we share together in our grief. We bring strength to one another through that process as we are waiting to be allotted as slaves to our captors as the spoils of war. So it's, it's the aftermath. And it, the idea for us is just the reality of how destructive war is. That war is not just about the blowing up of buildings. It's not just about soldiers on the field. There's a great deal of collateral damage and everyone loses in war. So that's the message we're bringing across through this production. So the production is starting April 5th Correct. through April 20th. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be at 8 p.m. on Fridays and Saturday nights. Tickets are? Free. Free they're, for us. They're free to Woodbury students and, and faculty. Uh, yeah, and, and any faculty, not just the teaching faculty. Um, <laughs> We keep we keep uh, telling the security guards they need to come and peek ahead in and watch a show yeah. uh, at the gate there. So yeah, uh, everybody associated with Woodbury um, for non-Woodbury students and faculty tickets are twenty-eight dollars general or fourteen dollars for students of other schools um, who come and show their student ID. So if um, students here have friends that are going to other schools nearby they can certainly invite them over to come and see the show with them and tickets are $14 for students uh, outside. Very neat. Uh, so so I want to know, I'm, I'm, I know no, I'm no, taking no, no. over, I, sorry Greg. And you'll find out that my questions, no, you have, you ask my a questions question, are no. like 20 minutes long. Okay, go so for you're it. Gonna, no, go. Well, no, uh, the question I was going to ask is how do you, so you perform different performances, and this is for both of you, how do you deal with performing in a different space every time. I mean, that's a, a pretty enormous challenge, right? It can be. It can be. We had a production last year of Claire Luce Booth's uh, classic, The Women, and we did it inside of a clothing store called The Pinup Boutique on Magnolia Boulevard. And learning how to work your angles in a very different space is a challenge. And yet, that's exciting to an sure. actor because it just is one more tool that you stick in your toolbox. So for me, um, now going into the Amundsen main space, how do, we, how do we use that space effectively to tell the story to the audience that's there? The more we use it, the more immersed our audience is, and the more they come along with us for the story. So for us, it's exciting to be in a new space. This, is, this will be Hillary's third show on the campus, so third location on the campus as well. So she was in our first production on the campus, which was Mary Wives of Windsor, which we did in the Ankable Courtyard uh, in January of last year. It was cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was cold. It wasn't like that. We w if we'd have tried that this year, we would have been poured on. It would have right. never worked. We, we did luck out with clear weather, but it was cold. Um, and, and we'd like to use the courtyard again for something like that show. We didn't have anything in our season this season that lent itself really to that setting, and that's the key. Um, once we decided to give up our space, we did decide that what we wanted to do was to embark on creating theater that was outside the black box. It's sort of a, a term that I, I coined because we were in a black box theater, and there's a lot of black box theater in this town. In fact, there are more black box theater companies in L.A. than there are in Chicago or New York. Um, people don't realize that about LA, that it really is a big theater town. Sure. 
um, so we we wanted to do something that was going to help us sort of uh, rise above the noise of all that theater. And we decided that uh, an immersive site-specific format was where we wanted to go. And so we started finding these locations. And when we decided we were going to do the women, I said, I want to do it in a clothing store because there's a major, several major scenes in the play that are, involve a department store. And um, it worked. It worked really, really well. Our audiences responded beautifully to it. There, w when you go into a standard theater and you're just sitting in an audience and you see the proscenium, you, there's a, a measure of suspension of disbelief. Right? You're in a room that you know can be anything and, and, and you sort of have to put yourself there. When you're inside of a clothing store, or you're inside of a library that surrounded by books that was once a chapel and you're doing Faustus, you don't have to make that leap with your mind. Mm. You're already in it. Mm. And so it's that, that it, it just, it works. It works really well. Mm. And so in the fall of last year, she mentioned Faustus we did in the library. Um, we did two shows inside the library. One was Faustus and one was The Trial of Lizzie Borden, mm -hmm. which yeah. was the last show we did here. Um, did you also do Midsummer Night's Dream? We did we a did. Midsummer Night's Dream, and Hillary was also in a Midsummer Night's Dream, and we did that in the Alumni Quad, yeah. underneath the big giant tree there. Um, it's funny, because I, I got, y you'll, you'll appreciate this, Mr. Marketing Man, <laughs> right? So I got a little bit of hot water because I kept promoting the show as being staged under a giant oak tree. And there is a giant oak tree out there in the quad, but it's not the tree we ended up using <laughs> for the <this laughs> show. So, <laughs> and people would be like, is that an oak tree? We got well, angry letters from arborists. Who's that tree? That's not an oak tree. And I believe it's actually a yew, is what I was told, uh, a Y-E-W. That's a yew tree. Okay. Um, but in marketing, you're like, performed under a giant oak tree, a midsummer, or performed under a giant yew. <laughs> <laughs> but, to, but to have a puck on a rope swing yeah. out from a tree it's into the middle. It's a wild show. Right. And, yeah. and, and you don't have to build that. There's nothing that you can build that will make it seem more real than an actual, yeah. than someone actually jumping out of a tree. Right. It's amazing. P.S. I have built a 20 foot tall tree out of chicken wire and um, canvas and phony tree branches mixed in with real tree branches that then had phony leaves attached to them. Uh, twice in my life for, for my Shakespeare Festival out in Redlands, the Redlands Bowl is this gigantic proscenium. And so to be able to do this show and not have to build a tree and have a real mm -hmm. tree even bigger than I could possibly ever build was an awesome thing to do after having twice in my life had to create it. Are you an actor too, Stephen, by the way? I am indeed. That's how I started. Okay. Yeah. So you, I thought maybe you were always on the directing side, but no. no. Okay. Uh, and I and I believe because of the dir the directors I know and the directors I've worked with, I believe that a director who has not been an actor is doing a disservice to themselves and to their actors. Mm -hmm. um, you really can't understand the craft if you haven't worked both sides of the table. You know that sounds a lot like Keith Sarabaka. <laughs> so Keith Sarah who? So Baca. he's an actor. He's a working actor. We had him on the show. Is he related to Chewbacca? Because we he's, have that. He's, he's a professor like here. He's a, a professor yeah. here as and well. And he said a similar thing. He's, he teaches a class here called Acting for uh, Directors. And oh. basically the idea is, look, here's what you need to know if you're going to direct. 
about acting. Tremendous. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's absolutely crucial. He's absolutely right. Yeah. So he, he see. So here's he's doing a great service to his students by making sure that they're aware of that. You can't just go out there and go. I want to direct a giant motion picture, and that's what I want to focus on doing. And if you don't understand the other artists and the art they do, um, then you can't, it's like we were saying earlier about co wanting to collaborate with the different uh, departments here on the campus, is because it requires the best people in all of those departments. And from a producer-director standpoint, how can you manage that staff if you don't understand their job right right it's kind of it, it doesn't make any sense you know right. no, nobody manages a restaurant who wasn't at, at least a, a server. server at some point in their lives and most likely the best managers are the ones who started off as bussers then became like servers then went truck. expedite then went man you know what i mean like a working way up the ladder there's a reason why we do that in so many industries mm -hmm. um and i think not to say that well, technically, it, there is a hierarchy in this art form, and directors are above actors in that hierarchy when work has to be done, but not on the level of artists. Um, so I don't want it to sound like you know you have to be a, you have to work your way up to directing. Right. Some people never want to be a director. Maybe exactly. Would you want to be a director? You, you know. I have thought about it. It's not something I'm interested in doing at this point. Right. You know, I'm focused on being the best actress that I can be. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, I every once in a while think. Hmm. I could have. I, I could have done that I better. I could have maybe given an idea there. That might have been helpful. <laughs> well, can you tell us? Tell us a, your story. Yes, Hillary. you have a great story, Hillary. Ooh, uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Okay. And I was a child actress and model. Well, you're going to have to We're give sorry us some about examples that. of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if anyone is old enough to remember the department store Bullock's. And she didn't end up in National Enquirer. No, right? I didn't. Well, and the reason why was that by the time I was eight years old, I was not quite as cute anymore. So my career as a child actress and model spanned about three years, from five to eight years old. Uh, and then when I pursued theater in high school, it was technical theater. I didn't perform, but I learned how everything backstage worked. And I enjoyed it very much. Um, cut two, I went up to Santa Barbara to, to go to school. I did, I needed an elective. I took an acting class and the fire was reignited. I was accepted to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York. So I have a conservatory education in theater. And then it dawned on me that I probably was unlikely to be the ingenue. So at 24, I was offered a job working at HBO and I worked in corporate entertainment for almost a decade. I got married, I had a daughter, and I tried to find something to do to get me out of the house. I was terrible at pottery. I tried really <laughs> hard to master that wheel, but I just was bad at it. I was bad. At least you tried. I tried. I, I, I tried real hard. I tried. <laughs> so you were on hiatus from acting, basically. Oh yes, from that, for most of for most of my adult life. Um, and then after I cried in my clay, my mother said to me, <laughs> uh, "You know, you were pretty, you were a pretty good actress once. Maybe that's something that you should look into doing." I took a class. I enjoyed it. I got my headshots. I went to one audition and I booked it. And then I went to a second audition at the Archway Theater and I booked it. So Stephen Sable gave me a role when I had one credit on my resume. Wow. And now I'm a star in his show. That's, That's so great. wonderful. Yay. Love those long stories. Story, long story, not so short. I <laughs> wanted to back up to when did you, so you decided to leave um, corporate entertainment America? I did. And okay. What, yeah. So I, I worked. Um, in some of the most prestigious corporate houses in entertainment. Um, and then I realized that I didn't have that sort of dog-eat-dog -dog mentality that you need to be a top agent or a top producer. 
so I started looking elsewhere. I worked in nonprofit for a while. I worked in property management. And then I met my husband, got married, had a child, and was focused on homemaking when I started to realize, I gotta get out of the house, man. I'm gonna lose my mind if I don't get out of the house for a little bit. Yeah. What am I gonna do? Um, and theater really gave me that outlet. And being a resident company member especially, this was, when I was younger and thinking about theater, this was my dream, that it was like a family that did, that did theater together, specifically classical theater. I've always been a fan of Shakespeare. Um, and, and now working with um, Stephen and the Archway, I've grown, a, I have a very strong affinity now for Greek theater, mm -hmm. um, the sophisticated writing that continues to have universal messages, I think are so important. And so it's just been one amazing season after another for the past three years. Mm. That's awesome. How does it work with um, members? So are all of your, so do you cast only members in your plays? No, not at all. Okay. Um, you our membership. Shot, Jamie. I do not. Yeah. By all means, I, come out and audition, please. Yeah, I'm really great actress on the side. You one never knows. <laughs> our membership currently stands at right around 20 artists uh -huh. in in our organization as resident company members. Um, but I would say that there are at least another 20 or more who I call like our peripheral family, who are actors who have either been company members and had to withdraw because they had other commitments or other things that they were working on, or they have been offered company membership but declined it because they had too many other things, but they've been in several of our shows, or that, that kind of uh, artist. And then there are always new people coming to us all the time. Um, you know, any given week, I receive multiple submissions from artists who have visited our website and taken a look at what we do and send me an email with their cover letter and their headshot and resume and say, please consider me. And when we have available roles for shows, I will go into that file of those artists who have submitted. And if I see something that is right for what we're looking for, then I'll invite that artist to submit an audition video f to me. Mm -hmm. And then based on what the audition video contents are, I will call them and ask them to come in and read for the part and, and oftentimes cast them in the show. We have several women in this production coming up that that's exactly how they came to us. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is if you... If you That's did, my mom calling. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. Mom. Mom, we're on the Let's air. Let's put her on the show. Mom, download the podcast <laughs> at. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I think if if you were to take the position of only company members, you don't have company members because each of my very valued and trusted company members have come to me through the open audition process. So you can't, you know, chop off one hand, you know, or cut off your that nose or all of that. You, you have to continue that open flow of talent, uh, not only because people do come and go, but also because there are great people out there waiting, that you're waiting to discover and waiting to discover you and who then identify this as their home. Um, and, you know, it is very much like that. And yes, that means that there are family bickerings that go on as well. And there's competition that goes on as well. I mean, we're artists, for goodness sake. So you got to expect that. Um, but one of the benefits of being a company member is that you get to propose projects. 
And right now, I know some of our company members are super excited because um, they come on this campus and they start doing what I've done, which is look around and start their wheels going and start thinking about, ooh, what show do I want to do where? Mm -hmm. um, because that's one of the great aspects of our collaboration is that you know we're a site-specific immersive theater company and we have this entire campus available to us to decide what will work in the best place. And Greg and I have walked the campus a couple of different times now and pointed out multiple places where we have plans for shows that are going to happen uh, and uh, or locations that could house a variety of different shows. So then if an actor comes to me and goes, I have this idea for a show, I can say, you know what, I want you to go walk over to that courtyard and tell me what inspires you, you know. Um, so that's really uh, mm. exciting too. But basically, so if you get to propose a show, then you get to propose some casting for that show, and that gives you an advantage over outside people. And where it's appropriate, we do cast from within first, but there are always other openings, and mm -hmm. then once you're in, now you're in, and you move, guess what? You move your way up the hierarchy. Mm, okay, <laughs> so love it. Hillary, I wanted to ask you, just get into the process a little bit. Sure. So how do you become, what do you do to become a Trojan woman who has, has is facing You slavery. bribe your way into USC. <laughs> um, Ouch. Wow. Ouch. That was good. Ouch. I set you up there. He did. I, I mean, you know, look, I, I'm sure we have some. So just to give you this part of the 20-minute question. That sure, I go ahead. But, um, <laughs> I feel like I'm sitting before a member a of Congress. Of the, a lot of the people we <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the people we speak to, I One think, point are are prospective Woodbury students. And a lot of them are artistic types. And I'm sure a lot of them are interested in, in acting and performance. And I'm kind of curious how, like, what your process is in terms of finding the voice of your character, being able to uh, project who that person is to the audience. Like, what, what do you go through to do that? Well, first and foremost, I do a lot of research. So studying the different city-states of ancient Greece, trying to understand who the characters are. I spend a lot of time in the text itself, um, especially when you're dealing with classical language. There are words, and, and even the one who has a large vocabulary, there are still words that pop up that just like, I've never seen that word before in my life. And so you start to get into the language itself and why an, an author would choose those words and what, what meaning is behind them for yourself. Um, after research, after the, the language itself, I think then it becomes about what parts of myself identify with this character? How can I translate my own experience and bring that through them, through these imaginary circumstances? Um, so it, it, it's, it's not hyper removed from me. Like playing a character, where like, I, like I said, I played a grave digger in a scene from Hamlet. <laughs> I didn't have anything that I related to in that particular case. In that case, you're creating a pretty much a character that you throw on and throw off. Right. In this case, because there's so much emotional work being done, um, it really more is about how do I let myself feel what she felt? How am I able to be open and willing enough to do that? Mm -hmm. And throw in some music, some visual stimulation. We have a perfumer that gives us um, scents that we can work with, things that don't always smell so pleasant, right. but certainly inform 
what's happening around you. Mm-hmm. And once you get those different elements together and a good vocal warm-up and a good physical warm-up, you do those things, you're right there. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it starts to overwhelm you, which is why you have to be really strong on your, on your lines. Yeah, that's <laughs> Wow, yeah. It's just a lot of work. It's, it I, is. It's a lot know. of work, but it's a pleasure, and it's, I think it's important. I specifically think that this type of work, Greek theater, catharsis, is truly important to our humanity. It's part of what makes us human is our ability to relate mm-hmm. and to have an outlet for our grief. Mm-hmm. You know, people are struggling. People have a hard time letting those struggles out. They weigh on them. But I, I mean, I can say I'm sure that you've seen a movie or a show at one point, even a darn good commercial that'll make you shed a tear. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and you feel better after. Right. You know, you feel refreshed in a way, cleansed in a way. And this is the most extreme, the highest form of that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's an honor and a privilege right. for me to do it. So what actors do you admire the most? Who are your role models, if you will? Uh, mine are a little old school. That's so okay. yeah, yeah. So um, Anne Bancroft mm-hmm. uh, was is one of my mm-hmm. um, acting icons, along with Jessica Tandy. Mm-hmm. Um, the careers that they had, mm-hmm. the different characters that they played, the, the empowered women mm-hmm. that they portrayed. Um, I've always been... Um, moved by them and you know you throw in a Meryl Streep or a Vanessa Redgrave and that's pretty much my pantheon mm. of actresses. Nice. Yeah. Would you like to go into um, film or, or do you like theater? I, I think it's theater first for me okay. and certainly now with my schedule I've been home with my daughter she just started kindergarten mm. so I have a little more time during my day to try and get out there and audition for on-camera work. Um, Thus far, however, it's been scheduling-wise and for my own experience, a better choice to work on theater. And I just, I I love the medium. Mm -hmm. I do. I Mm -hmm. love it. Neat. Um, Do you guys do, like, what what is your regular audience like? Do you do, like, talkbacks with them after shows? Or do you, like, I'm curious about who your audience is, who your regular audience. I know you're probably building it and you've you know, it evolves and that sort of thing. But I'm curious it's, about that. It's a very eclectic mix. And, and, you know, so so is the audience, I think, of, of all live art, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. if, you, if you go to a museum, who's the audience at the museum? If you look around, you're going to see a wide variety of people. It's the same thing with um, a performance of theater. You know, the audience can be composed of a huge variety of demographics. Ugh. We do have a subscriber base of season subscribers who purchase our whole season and just come to everything we do and we love those people obviously Absolutely. Um, and I think that those people are a testament to the quality of the work that we do because they just look at the titles and go oh yeah if Archway's doing it I want to see it and um, if you go to our website great. at archwayla.com and look at our subscription packages, you can see what you can get for yourself. Love it. That's <laughs> correct. That's very That's true. That's why Hillary's here. <laughs> it's all right there for you to see <laughs> what four shows we're doing. And um, and because we are a site-specific and immersive uh, theater company, not all our shows are here on the campus. Um, so, like this year, one of our main stage shows is actually at a, a totally different location, and then we have some other events at other locations as well throughout the season. Uh, we have three shows on the campus here this season, as well as one special event that we're working on with the mm-hmm. alumni department uh, for October. Um, and then Greg and I have already, as I mentioned earlier, we've 
we've identified some locations. We've already talked about what shows might work for 2020, um, including a very politically driven production that we're planning for the fall of 2020, right around election season, because mm. we think it'll be very timely and mm -hmm. very immersive. Um, so that's you know something that we're getting excited about already, and um, so I think that. What was the question again? Uh, and, and we do offer Q&As also, depending oh, on talk the audience. Yes. Yeah, and who the audience is. Well, I think that the audience changes somewhat to, to which play we're doing, for right, instance, right? Um, you know, this play is a play very much uh, very much surrounding women. The, t the title mm -hmm. is Trojan Women. So, uh, and when we did The Women, we had a higher demographic of females in the audience. But there's always a higher demographic of females in the audience of a theater performance than there is males. That's just the way it right. always is. Women come to see more theater than men do. Um, that's a shame, but it's true. Um, but it will change, you know, the, the demographic for this might be different than the demographic for Henry IV when we do that in June, which might be completely different from The Elephant Man when we do that here in November. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it, it's in flux, but we are building our subscriber base as more and more people discover us they become fans and they come back and they come and see more shows because we do put on a, something different. It's, it's different. <laughs> so let's talk about your season. Sure. So what's, up, what's coming up after Trojan Women? Trojan Women, April 5 through April 20. I believe that's correct. And then our fearless leader um, takes the stage himself. Uh, no, oh, really? You asked earlier if I was an actor. Ah. And I actually will be performing on stage this year. I don't always get on stage every season. It just depends on what's going on as far as production aspects and ad administration and all of that. Uh, but this year I'll be playing Henry in Henry IV. Mm. Um, and uh, our Prince Hal, who grows up and later becomes... Henry V um, will be the the young Will Holbrook. He's the grandson of Hal Holbrook, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, he's been with the company for a couple of years now. And we're excited to have him back for this project. And considering Henry V for next season as a sequel, hmm. obviously it makes sense. Um, and then we're moving out to we're going to be out in the valley. Actually, our Henry IV will be uh, celebrating an encore perform after its run here. We'll be celebrating an encore performance in the in the Far East Valley. Mm -hmm. And then um, we're going to be in Tarzana in August at the Tarzana Community Center. We're going to be doing As You Like It, and we're doing that as a Western. We're setting that in the American West. It lends itself extremely well to the Western setting. It's Shakespeare's most pastoral comedy. There's a goat herder in it. There's farms in it. It's set in the forest. They have a whole song about killing deer. Um, it's uh, it's very it's incredible to see how well it lends itself to that setting. I've done it that way before, so um, we're reprising that concept. And uh, it becomes sort of an homage to all of your favorite westerns because we pack it full of, uh, you know, gun battles and duels and there's a robbery and um, it's really, really fun. It, it, uh, it turns into a real fun night. So we're doing that out, out in Tarzana. Their, their building has this sort of very Hacienda-style look to it. And um, again, it's that site specificness. So that basically, instead of building a set, I, 
I'm a pretty decent set designer, um, an award-winning set designer, if I may say. And we you have, just did. we have in our company John Eddings, um, who's also an award-winning set designer. And the two of us together will make a pretty decent team, if I do say so myself, when we decide what we want to build and we put it together and we decorate it and dress it. But you can never build anything as good as real. Right. And so if you can use real, use real. Instead of building a set and bringing a set to a play, we bring the play to the set. Um, and when, you, when I tell you about what we're going to be doing in November, we're setting up a giant tent and we're going to do the elephant man inside a giant tent. The elephant man in his history, um, the, one of the most famous aspects of his history was that he was on display at the Brussels Fair mm -hmm. as part of a freak show. And what we're going to do is recreate the Brussels Fair environment and present the freaks of the freak show who are then going to present the story of their colleague, the Elephant Man. So it's a completely immersive, play within a play kind of aspect to it. And uh, we're very, very excited about that project. So, And can I say, we, this came up, I, I mentioned you were planning this show and a student worker was was listening as I was telling, I think Damon, our alumni person about this, and she was really excited, <laughs> like, like totally, whoa, this is crazy, I can't wait for this. So mm. I think, you know, that you might have struck some, something kind of interesting with this show. Well, thank you. you know, that's, what I, that's what I try to do. That's what we as a company try to do. Um, we've been doing Greek tragedy since the inception of the company. Our very th the third production of the Archway Theater was a production of Trojan Women seven years ago. Um, the same script, pretty much the same script that we're using for this production. That was our first Greek tragedy uh, of the company, and we have done six others since. And every single one of them has been classically produced and in a classical setting with the classic you know, Greek costumes and, and togas and that kind of thing. Um, that was going to be our plan for this production as well until Greg showed me the Amundsen main space. Mm -hmm. And when we walked in there and I looked at how industrial that setting looks and that big giant garage roll door and how it has this this feeling of of a place where you put things that you're waiting to be used later for something else or on display to others and that's what's what's happening with these women in this play. They've been put in this holding place where they're on display while their fates are being decided and, and their fates are being decided, don't forget, by lot, mm -hmm. right? These men, these, these Greek conquerors are drawing straws to see who gets to pick first like an NFL draft and choosing which of these women they want to take. Uh, and when you think about how horrific that concept is, um, and how that still happens in the world oh, today, yes. 2,500 years later, and how Euripides captured that and nailed that. It's really, really fantastic. And I, when I saw that space, I went, that's how we, what we need to do. We need to modernize this. And so we are doing it in a postmodern setting. People have asked me, well, which, 
decade is it? It's it's any postmodern decade. It's mm-hmm. any any um, post-industrial. Y- yeah, pretty much. You know, it goes '60s forward, and it doesn't matter from that point based on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, our Greek soldiers will be dressed in modern military garb. Mm-hmm. Our captured women will look like refugees because that's exactly what they are. And um, the setting will have this magnificent mix of traditional Greek columns because we do want that flavor of that 2500 year old story you know Um, so we'll have this mix of these traditional Greek columns and modern military um, things uh, around as well as you know resistance recruitment posters and that kind of the modern assemblages of war will overlay these fallen the fallen city of Troy and uh, I think it'll be a great experience for our audience to come in that giant roll door Mm -hmm into that space to see this play it, it unfold in front of them so i love how excited, excited your passion and excitement about it it just it's making me getting you know really excited about seeing it it'll be really great cannot wait so did we get through the whole season we is the elephant man the last that is that okay. is that's the final show of the season that's in november okay and then uh, like i said we're talking about some things for 2020 um, that, that we're also excited about as well and new spaces that we haven't used yet before. Well, and we alluded to this, but let's just talk about it a little bit. The, the, and I know we haven't you know, signed the deal or whatever you want to say, but like the, the event that you've done in the past with other institutions is potential alumni-focused event where you're you know, around Halloween, the, the, you know, it's Shakespearean-focused, the different talk a little bit about that because it's a well, really when Hillary mentions that, that she was she did a scene she was one of the gravediggers from Hamlet it was it was for that style event uh, when I had my Shakespeare festival out in Redlands as a fundraising event every year we did something that I called the haunted grove experience it was Shakespeare's haunted grove experience uh, one of the board members of the early organization had uh, a very large home there in Redlands with uh, an orange grove, and it was actually two-tiered mm-hmm. orange grove, and there was this really kind of creepy brick stairway that you had to take from the bottom grove to the upper grove. And um, I asked her permission to set up this tour on her property and what we did is we chose the best scenes from Shakespeare's villains and monsters, and we set them at different locations throughout her orange grove and throughout her property. We set up some wine and cheese and food stations along the way, and um, we offered it for a ticket price to patrons to come buy a ticket and see some Shakespeare, get a little scared, eat some food, drink some wine, and at the same time be contributing to the festival. It was a tremendous hit. Uh, it sold out. The tickets, people were asking for the tickets the following year as early as August when the event wasn't and until October. Mm-hmm. So um, we did it for nine straight seasons because it sold out every single year. And um, when I got involved with the Tarzana Community Cultural Center, um, I proposed it to them as a fundraiser for them. And we did it this last year in October. And again, it it sold out completely. In fact, we had to turn people away because the tours are designed that you don't want them too large so that everyone can see each scene or each monologue mm-hmm. that they're witnessing. 
and you know Shakespeare's full of villains and monsters and and creepy characters you know so there's a plethora to choose from between Mm -hmm. the hunchback Richard III or the the (laughs) witches of Macbeth you know the ghost of Hamlet's father can we have some Um, voices please (laughs) there's all all kinds of Lady Macbeth she was there she was there she's definitely there she's one of the creepiest of them all you know Mm -hmm. um you know when uh, when you have a character standing in front of you who says she'd be willing to dash out her baby's brains in order to obtain her goals like that's like you know i don't think you get any villain more yeah. villain or villainy than that sure um <laughs> but yeah we we have fun with it caliban the fish man from the tempest we always and it seemed at every location we've been at has always had some sort of water feature or swimming pool mm. And when there's been a swimming pool, we've actually put Caliban in the swimming pool mm-hmm. uh, and had him come crawling out of the pool and do his thing. Um, so again, very site-specific, very immersive for the audience. And um, so it's at, uh, at Tarzana, it was, theirs is a garden. So it was Shakespeare's haunted garden. Um, and we're talking about doing Shakespeare's haunted campus here uh, on Woodbury or whatever whatever they want to uh, audiences really respond to it they just yeah. love it because it it's right up I mean even as close as black boxes there's still a little bit of space between mm-hmm. you and the performers in this case when someone just comes around a tree yeah and starts performing in front of, I mean it I mean, is tremendous yeah, yeah people really enjoy it quite an experience C- can you talk because I know you guys are rehearsing and I like to as I said you know <laughs> open the kimono here on Studio 7500. Careful now. Um, <laughs> show some leg, whatever you, bum, metaphor bum, you want to use. Um, like you're going to be in this space in Amundsen this evening. Like what do you do? What are you doing in there? Like how, what is it? How, what is the process like? What do we do in the space? Hillary, what do we do in the space? Hmm. What we do in the space <laughs> is really experience the space itself. I mean, we've already been rehearsing most, you know, we're, our, our scripts are down now. Mm-hmm. Um, we are finding our relationships. We're finding all of those moments. Those things are happening, you know, in or outside of the space. So then the value of being in the space is what does it sound like? What does it look like? Where can we, how far can I move? How big can my crosses be? And so it's sort of spreading your wings a little bit as a character and being able to move around and know that this is where your story is going to play out. Mm-hmm. So that's the benefit for us to be in there. And also... You know, ideas come, you know, when you see a roll door, when you see a large window, when you see something, you think to yourself, okay, is that where I'm going to put the burning walls of Troy in my mind's eye? Where, where am I, how am I going to use this space effectively to tell the story? For me, it, it's the exact same thing, but from the wide angle view, as it were. You know, um, it's very common to have me, see me walking around the space while rehearsal is happening, getting an idea of what different viewpoints are, different angles, uh, audience sight lines are important. How f- then? Then I can also tell actors, no, you can't go that far. You need to curtail this, or you got to be aware of this angle, or keep this side open so that people will be able to see what you're doing. Um, so there's that aspect of it, but also at the same time, the the final details of the set dressing are starting to shape in my mind as well as, okay, I want a flag 
hanging here sort of tattered and burned and I want some posters peeling off the wall here that that used to say you know rise up Troy or or whatever the aspect is of it um, some cargo netting perhaps hanging from this corner down to kind of give it a little interesting viewpoint or perspective of it so there's there's kind of that aspect of it too and then John and I will get together and I'll say you know how about this or what about that and uh, we'll we'll finalize the details. So that's also part of what what's happening for us right now, prior to moving into Tech Week, um, determining where the light standards are going to go, which instruments are going to hang where, and designing a light plot um, so that these ladies will be seen and realizing, based on them dialing in their movement and Hillary making a choice that she wants to cross far down left, and and me having to then say to myself. Uh, while she's doing that, do I need to write a note and tell her, don't come down so far, you'll be out of the light? Or is the note the exact opposite and the note is to myself as lighting designer, make sure you light that corner because Hillary's going to cross down there. And being able to assess what the value of each decision is is also part of it because is it going to make sense for me to use one of my instruments that way for the effect that she's going for? Or is the effect she's going for not as good and can be sold a different way if I tell her, no, you can't come that far down because I need that instrument to light another area. So that's a, another part of what's going on in my mind during rehearsals in the space. I have a spotlight rider, though, in my contract. <laughs> so I'll be sure to get that. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm going to hire a homeless man to hold a flashlight on you. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds you about know, right. If it, if it, if that you know satisfies the writer, then yeah, the, it's the letter, if not the spirit, <laughs> of the law. That's right. Is the, I know it's an immersive experience. Is the how immersive? Like, where is the audience for this particular show? We're going to encase them in a barbed wire retaining <laughs> no. cell. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, no we're not going that. <laughs> that no, no, it is not an escape no, room. <laughs> Although we have talked about trying to put together some sort of theatrical <laughs> escape room, right. which, which we maybe we'll test that out here on the campus. Um, but no, it's not an escape room in that sense. Uh, we do want the audience to feel like they can relate to the prisoners and, and as if they're in the room with the prisoners. So the seating is very upfront, it's very close to the action and you are in the room with them. Um, and that's part of that immersive aspect. But no, we won't be you know, beating them or corralling them or how, how pointing guns fit? at them. How many um, attendees can, or uh, guests can fit in there? You know, we, we haven't tested like what the total amount is but I'm going to say that I'm going to limit it because of the sight lines and because of that intimate experience that I want to maintain. So even if we could fit, say, 200, uh, which is probably more than the room capacity, but let's say we could, um, I would never want more than, say, like 70 mm -hmm. to 80 people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because it starts to lose that immersive feeling if it's overly large. Mm -hmm. Well, this is very exciting. Uh, we're running out of time, so um, you know we could 
usually with our guests, we could go on and on and on. I think it's the same kind of deal. We could just ask a million questions. Well, you know, Greg, you you well know better than anybody, uh, and now everybody who's been listening knows we're going to be here all year long. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah, it's um, wonderful. You can always ask us to come back. We will, definitely. I was thinking we should have you back for each show. I think Maybe so, yeah. And, and have one of your actors with you. We would be yeah. more than... Actors love to talk, if you haven't noticed. Have you talked enough, Hillary? What else do you want to have share I with us? Have enough? Yes. Never. What would you like to share? What have we left out? Is there no, anything it's, else? It's just very exciting to be an artist in residence at a university. I think it's one of the highest honors of my craft and one of the most respected positions that an actor can be in. So for me, being here at your university and having the ability to share my craft with your students, to be so welcomed at Woodbury, um, is an extraordinary position to be in as an actress. So I'm excited for this production of Trojan Women. I'm excited for our upcoming shows and to find some sort of sideshow character that I can bring to the Elephant Man Ooh. later this year. Well, sh- we shall see. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many actresses are fighting to play the bearded lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was a great character. She is. That's there you go. great. Yeah. yeah, that's a true thing. Now, just do you have... Is the Elephant Man a character in that show? Yes, he he is. But, you know, the interesting thing is uh, Bernard Pomerantz, who wrote the play, who wrote it based on the the journal writings of the two major doctors who were involved Mm -hmm. with him and throughout his life. You know, this doctor found Joseph Merrick. Yeah. This doctor found him and took him to London Hospital. Um and he ended up staying there for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And he lived there for many years uh, as a resident there. And when, in the early stages of that, when the hospital board was like, who's paying for this? Um, And they put out a request to the public. And they were, he was immediately endowed. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there was money left, when he died, there was money left over. And they had to go through a process of figuring out what to do with that money that wasn't going to be illegal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it could go to the hospital or not um, was a big issue at the end of it all, ironically. Yeah. But uh, so he lived in the hospital, and Bernard Pomerantz wrote the play based on all of those true accounts, so it's really very accurate to the history of this man. And um, Pomerantz, in his restrictions on licensing the play, which we had to license through Samuel French Incorporated in New York, um, made it very specifically clear that you are not to use any prosthetics, that you are not to use any um, makeup uh, to that effect, that the actor playing the title role needs to, at to the best of his ability, contort himself didn't Bradley Cooper do this? Very he did very yes. recently mm-hmm. on Broadway. Yes, mm-hmm. he did. He had to contort his whole body. He did. He actually, amazing. Actually. He actually amazing. He actually had to work. Um, he would do a performance one night with a hump and shoulder up one way, and then the next mm-hmm. night the other way to protect his body because it, it's a very physically demanding, oh demanding role. But I think to Stephen's point and what the right what the writer intended was that. This is a story about a man. Right. It's not a story about a freak. Yeah. It's a story about a man who was perceived as a yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. poorly by his time. Mm-hmm. What Pomerantz wants people to see and what, what myself and the reason why I fell in love with the play when I first read the play is what the writer and I hope myself as a producer-director fulfills is that what the audience needs to see is what's underneath the deformity, right? right? The man inside the shell. And so you don't want to put on this shell that then becomes the story. If you've seen the film, mm-hmm. they when they licensed the story, they weren't beholden to what Pomerantz right. dictated about the play. And mm-hmm. they obviously, of course, did all the makeup. And they did a, a as perfect recreation of him, because we have all of that. We have the photos, we have right. the skeleton, we have all that. They did as perfect a recreation of him as they could and put to put on an actor. But the movie then becomes all about that makeup yeah. and those yeah. special effects right. rather than the trueness of the story. Um, and what we're going to do is the opposite of that. Yeah. Our shell is going to be that world of the Brussels Fair. Yeah. You know, Our shell is going to be um, the the oddities, the human oddities that he uh, ended up a part of. And then to demonstrate how all of those people are just as human as him in telling his very human story. And uh, I think that speaks well to the author's initial intent and then amplifies it. Well, we're, we're out of time. Uh, what? No. You know, a lot of great, exciting stuff coming up, and you guys are bringing it. Archway is bringing it to us, and a lot of stuff to look forward to. We're certainly looking forward to Trojan Women. Uh, You know, I know I I will definitely see it. I'll be there. I'll be there. Um, Mm. We're really excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. Well, and and our hope is that in this collaboration, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what is happening on the campus and what what um, the campus is supplying us and all these locations and everything. Um, but what we hope to be our part of the contribution besides uh, what we hope will be a highly successful fundraising event for the Alumni Association um, is to also bring people to this campus who don't know it's even here. Um, and that's been happening a lot already is people are like, where are you? And well, what, I didn't know Burbank had a university. So there's a lot of that happening and m- with each performance we have there are more and more people waking up to the fact that this this beautiful campus exists and these programs that this school exist and then of course you know on top of that to provide the cultural opportunities for the faculty and the students as i mentioned free free it's free come see us no it's it's wonderful to get some excitement here on campus and i, I mean we're thrilled I'm, the students are loving it good stuff guys thanks for joining us Thank today you. Thank thanks you. for having okay. us so much okay bye bye